Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of the Spoon Mom Pod. I actually reached out and have started to reach out to different people within the industry, different chefs, to start kind of a new series that we're going to do, really just calling it guest. Uh, so to be guest chef, guest bartender, guest song, stuff like that is kind of the idea where we spend probably anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour with an individual in the food industry, hospitality industry, either you know a chef at a restaurant, owns a restaurant, could be someone running the beverage program, could be a sommelier. But we sit down with them and kind of go through their culinary or career thus far and kind of just get to know them a little bit better and then also kind of ask them some specific questions that you know we find interesting and I just have a good, you know, conversation. So this is going to be a new thing that's going to be, uh, it'll be coming out sporadically at first. I uh, hope to be able to do at least once a month, you know, at minimum and hopefully increase from there um, as we get responses. A lot of people within the industry, even though you think they wouldn't be that busy right now because of a lot of restaurants being closed and stuff like that, they're actually busier because they're trying to not only figure out what they can do now, but also project for the future and reopen their restaurant and, and stuff like that. So I was joined by Chef Jay Clavin. Uh, he's the first uh, chef guest that we'll have on the, the Spoon Mob pod here. Uh, he's over at Cleaver. For those of you who don't know, he used to be the chef at Rock Mill for about like two years or so. So primarily, you know, when we were frequenting Rockville, pretty heavy. And then uh, he recently moved over to Cleaver, which opened this summer. And they've been testing out a bunch of different new concepts and stuff that's over in Grandview. So he joined me for about 40 minutes. The audio was actually pretty good. Uh, we did it all remotely through FaceTime. So we'll be utilizing FaceTime and Zoom and just trying to get everything kind of balanced out. So appreciate Jay spending some time, uh, you know, taking the time out. You know, Mondays was pretty much the only day that he gets off and, and he was able to take, you know, 40, 45 minutes and uh, have a conversation come on the podcast. So really appreciate of that. And, you know, we'll have them on probably in the future once they get closer to reopening the dining room and everything like that. But, you know, we'll be having, like I said, other industry professionals on, you know, in the future, any of those podcasts will come out on Thursdays. They're going to do the restaurant reviews and stuff on Mondays. And then also the parts now known uh, episodes that we do, those come out on Wednesdays. So it'll be Monday, Wednesday, every week. And then sometimes there's going to be a Thursday mixed in and hopefully eventually we'll be able to, to kind of incorporate every Thursday sometime down the road. But just keep an eye on the feed. Appreciate everybody listening thus far. I uh, hope everybody had a good Christmas, good New Year coming up. Everybody stay safe uh, with the coronavirus and everything. Appreciate everybody, you know, subscribing to the feed, spreading the word, uh, following on Instagram and everything. And We'll have more stuff down the, come down the pike and down the lane in the future, but I appreciate everyone thus far and hope you guys enjoy the conversation I had with Chef Jay Clavin of Cleaver. Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to kind of have you on, followed you for a little while on Instagram. Uh, you also used to work at one of my favorite restaurants in Columbus, uh, Rock Mill. So, and then recently, obviously, you moved over to Cleaver. You know, I started doing this kind of as a hobby and everything and just kind of, you know, keep going with it and everything. That was kind of the main reason that I wanted to have you on as one of the first people. And, and there's not really too much about you with like, you know, your story on like how you got into, you know, cooking and everything. So I figured we'll kind of start there. I wasn't sure like, you know, 
obviously you're at Rock Mill and now at Cleaver, but before that, it's kind of a mystery, I think, to most people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have as much uh, editorial history on myself. Uh, so my wife and I moved uh, up here to Columbus about five years ago. Okay. Uh, and the only other place before Rock Mill I worked was uh, the Pearl, uh, oh, right yeah. down in the short north for Cameron Mitchell. It was kind of a weird thing. We were down in North Carolina. My wife, we had decided to move to Charleston, uh, okay. South Carolina. Uh, we had to leave pretty soon. Uh, I got a job set up down there and a place to live. And she went down there. She's like, oh, I don't like the school at all. Um, we're going to move to Columbus where she's from Dayton. She's like, we're going to move to Columbus. And I had never really been here. So I was like, oh, cool, cool. I guess I'll, you know, maybe work in an Applebee's in the middle of a cornfield. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I was actually really pleasantly surprised. Are you from, like, North Carolina area? Uh, no, we were, uh, we were both down in the Marines there. Uh, originally, I'm from Chicago. Okay. Uh, but kind of have moved all over. Yeah. Okay. So then, I mean... So you've been here for five years, so that puts you about like 2015, probably when you first yep. showed up here. So, I mean, yeah. it's changed pretty much since you've been here. I don't know. What, yeah. Uh, I mean, um, sure, North definitely obvious. You know, it's pretty obvious with all the renovations they did. But even some of the rest of the cities start really start to change. Yeah, I think with a lot of, especially with a lot of young cooks who I see coming out of culinary school, it's hard to tell them from living in big cities that like you have to wait. Like, this could be a really cool city, and this could be a really cool food city. But if you don't want to be on the ground floor, like, you know, Nashville was, and, you know, uh, even Atlanta uh, a couple of years ago, and St. Louis, and all these other up-and-coming places, it's like, now's the time to get in. And, you know, the expectations are low, and there's the possibilities are high. It's a really cool city, I think. Uh, we really enjoy it so far. Yeah, they... I think most people say from, I guess, you know, kind of a real estate perspective and everything that we're about three years behind Nashville, give or take. Yeah. It's kind of like the the marker. So, yeah, I mean, I've been in Columbus since 2011 and so I'm coming up on 10 years. It's changed pretty drastically. I mean, the food scene is definitely, you know, improving. Uh, originally, it, it wasn't anything really to write home about, but I mean, it, it took me a while to kind of really get into like food too as well. So then once that kind of started to happen, then you start trying different restaurants and everything. Now, did you go to culinary school at all or did you just kind of jump straight in? Yeah, uh, a little bit. So I went to, uh, yeah, uh, for most of my college, I went for English, which is, you know, hearsay there. Uh, definitely not doing that anymore. Uh, and then to CIA when I was in the Marines a little bit in New York, and I kind of quickly realized that uh, they weren't teaching, I guess, what I couldn't already learn just by learning from other chefs. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, not to say that it's not a, a great institution, but I mean, that, at that point in my career, it was like they wanted to start at the basics, and I had already, you know, that was me coming in a little later to the game on that. And I was like, oh, I really should have, you know, not signed up for this class on, you know, how to set a table kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of like another interesting point with culinary school. You know, there are some chefs, I guess most notable would be like David Chang, who questions, I guess, like how useful it is now versus, you know, because some of it is like, don't you have to pick uh, when you go, I think it's specifically maybe to Hyde Park, that you pick kind of a lane if you want to do like Italian and French or I think like Asian now too, you can do. Yeah. They, uh, they definitely didn't have that. Cause I, I, 
mine was kind of an expedited course. It was a two years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was still in the Marines at the time. So we didn't get a lot of the, the fun classes too on the side. I think the most fun class I got to take was the SOM class. But uh, yeah, I, a lot of people, I feel like the biggest divide is mostly pastry or cooking. Okay. And there's not a lot of in between on that. Like you either decide really early on that you want to go for baking because it's so different or for cooking. Uh, and then they always teach you French basics and then you kind of get up, you know, Italian and then you build off of that. But I mean, if you're really into a certain cuisine or a certain style, I, I highly recommend that you go to school for small business and then, you know, find a restaurant in that cuisine and, and just learn all you can. I mean, with, you know, social media and all the books that are out now that you're getting far more information than these schools can handle. And one thing in such a diverse portfolio, but I think the hardest struggle I had to learn coming up in cooking was the the finance side, the, the actual running of a kitchen and, you know, keeping yeah, costs under control. Stuff. Yeah. You know, even, even small things about plateware and, you know, like summer seasons and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, that was, that was probably the hardest learning curve for me. You know, food comes easy when you love to do it, but that, that harder part you need to, you know, kind of mount up on. So did you do any cooking when you were in the Marines or? Yeah, uh, I signed up for uh, cook. Um, I had previously before that, I was kind of traveling around as a little ski bum in all these ski towns, cooking in restaurants on the side just to afford to go up the mountain. And I was like, oh, I better, you know, get my life back together and, you know, decide if that's what I really want to do. So we signed up for the Marines and signed up as a cook. And most of it was deployed doing some, the best I could with, you know, situations. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say I did anything amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So then, so you move up, you know, you get out of the Marines, you decide to go to cooking school. Um, Mm. You're in, you know, Carolinas. Then you wind up in Ohio. So did you just kind of like show up to Rock Mill one day and like, like after the Pearl or, or how did you uh, wind up there with, with Andrew Smith, who you're still good friends with? I mean, I, you know, you guys yeah. still collaborate on stuff, you know, occasionally yeah. too as well. Um, I see him, I see him weekly. He's either in my restaurant baking for, you know, a cup of sugar or I'm helping him with Roy's Avenue. Uh, yeah. And once I got into sort of Columbus and kind of figured out the food scene, I, you kind of figure out these chefs of like, who do I really want to work for? and Who do I want to go? And I think I, Matt Barbie used to frequent the Pearl a lot and stay mm-hmm. a little late at night. Um, and I remember like, I think begging him three times to like hook me up with Andrew or his, you know, email. And he was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I, uh, eventually I, I got it and uh, screwed up my, my talking interview and I was just like, look, I'll, I'll work for free. I know you're doing this event down at the farm. I'll come wash dishes, anything. So I don't think I would have gotten the position if I, you know, didn't throw myself wholeheartedly into it. But yeah, I was there before Rock Mill opened and then all the way through until uh, just, just before the virus really. And then, so yeah, and you took over, I think Andrew left, was it like fall 2018, I think or so? And then you basically kind of just took over right from him pretty much, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of just kind of fell in the lane. Just uh, started at Rockmill just as, I don't know, one of those made up words like supervisor. But, um, you know, then yeah. 
took over for sous chef for him and um, I'm pretty aggressive <laughs> in the kitchen. Um, but, uh, he just decided that he was at uh, restaurants were a little too much for him anymore. So okay. I, uh, he stepped down and I kind of stepped in. Gotcha. So when you were there in, in your two years or so mm-hmm. roughly running the kitchen, how much like creative freedom did you have over the menu? Obviously they have staples, like they have the burger, they have the chicken sandwich and some other stuff. But then, you know, we, we live right around the corner from there. So we frequented pretty often when you were running the kitchen Yeah, and there would be some, you know, there was, I think like a, a beat bomb me that showed up there mm-hmm. one time. There was definitely, uh, I think there was a rabbit dish for like two people. There was a, like an oxtail fajita. So was that all like kind of you having creative lane or like, how did that all work? Yeah. I, they absolutely gave me a lot of creative freedom, which was helpful. I mean, definitely that box of like, is this going to sell? And I think a lot of it was, how are we going to sell this? I I think my biggest difference with a lot of these uh, places in town is I left Cameron Mitchell, not because it's a bad place or anything, or they weren't doing uh, good food, but I, tired of seeing all this food waste and okay. not working in seasons, which I was used to, um, you know, like there'd still be, you know, tomatoes on the menu in the dead of winter. And that blew my mind of how anyone thought that was a good idea. If you weren't like, you know, canning them yourself, but, uh, now we're, yeah, rock and all was a good, good chance to be like, well, does this work? Does this work? Do we want to see if people want to do this in a time that was kind of an interesting time where people were trying new things and some didn't like it. Some people still just wanted to come to Rockville for, you know, a fried chicken sandwich, which we kept on. Um, some people really wanted to try the the finer dining thing. Uh, but we were, I mean, every day we got to come in and we got to see what stick to the wall. And as long as we were working inside of a lane, I think our biggest success there was that we cross utilized so many ingredients that were never you know, in a whole. Gotcha. Makes yeah. sense. So then you come up to the pandemic and mm-hmm. then you wind up, you know, I think that's kind of roughly when we first kind of got in touch there uh, through Instagram and everything. I was working on the website and everything. And, and you gave me some updates about your current situation. And a few months after that, uh, I think it came out was when that you were going to be, you know, the executive chef at Cleaver, which is, uh, the butcher and the grocer, for people that don't, don't know, it's a, a butcher shop over in Grandview. They are were a couple doors down from originally it was a Harvest Pizzeria. Then that closed. It got turned into the old spot. And then they closed that and kind of rebranded, reformatted into Cleaver. So how did all that come about with you getting in touch with Tony and, and them and, and wind up over there? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've known Tony since... Close to when he started the butcher and grocer, even at Rocknell, just knowing your local butcher is a, you know, a good thing in the community. Yeah. Uh, and then I think as far as his side of the story goes with the butcher and grocer and those restaurants, they were, they tried to open up the harvest with um, Chris Crater, who owns that. And uh, that kind of fell through with um, business partnerships and stuff like that. I mean, having a butcher shop and a pizzeria, you can see some, you know. It was a it was a weird concept, right, uh, yeah. nonetheless. And then the old spot was with Latavla, I believe. I'm not too familiar. I'm pretty sure it was Latavla, 
and yeah, the owner or the the one guy who mm-hmm. that I forget his name off the top of my head. Um, yeah, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, right. And uh, then it was that in the butcher shop, and that went pretty well, I think, from what I can hear. But they ran right up into the um, the virus, and uh, the partner wanted to drop off. You know, really focused on the tabla. And I think Tony, who is always looking towards the future and really, you know, pushing the butcher shop was doing great. So he's like, I'm just going to do the restaurant by myself and we're going to buy it full out. No more partners. I had been doing some consulting work done this summer and he offered me the job. He goes, I don't care what you turn it into. I don't care what happens. Uh, Just all the meat comes from us, which is local Ohio farms. And every time you can get from a local farm in Ohio for your produce, you, you choose that over anything else that was like right up my alley and i said okay so i took uh one guy from rockmill who worked with me the creator of that beat by me uh dan roth okay. and we're the we're the two chefs so we have two people in the back and we're up to uh two uh bartenders up front and that's her whole team so now is that going to uh, be your whole team just for the duration of the pandemic and then like once you guys kind of get into full swing or is that that it you guys are going to keep it a small group uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're staying adaptable. That's the key word. We tell everyone that we're in the longest soft opening that any restaurant has seen. And it's kind of exciting and fun because we are, we're doing things and we're changing on a dime, uh, which we've never been able to do. But since it's just Dan and I, when we work every day, we just, uh, we've done the eight course dinners. We've done to go family meals. Uh, we've made things for the shop. We've done secret, you know, little pop-ups behind us, you know, butchering grocery. Special thing, yeah. Oh, the after-school special was just our happy hour thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it was just a that, that was just a fun way for us to try and get people in for drinking at three o'clock. We're like, oh, no one's really working, so. But we've done like a smoked chicken out of our smoker in the back on secret days and stuff like that. We're hoping to get some more in uh, once the weather clears up. But uh, and then we do our muscos on Sunday, which is just a randomly generated menu of all the things that we've kind of had in stock or want to create. So a lot of new, a lot of old, um, and every week it's different, but because of that, we're, yeah, we, we don't have a set menu. We kind of have some staples that are, have been people's favorites. And so we've kept them, but we're, we're really not a real restaurant yet. Just trying out a bunch of different stuff. So, yeah. What do you what do you envision it looking like once you know fast forward past the pandemic and everything? You'd see it as like an a la carte menu. Obviously, you guys have the patio yeah. outside. You have the interior. You got the bar, and then still doing you know special dinners. Or what do you think you're gonna wind up doing? I mean, it's so hard to tell uh, right now. Uh, we're we're keeping the lights on, but I envision Cleaver being. Um, something I've always wanted, which is that uh, mid-street food-centric experience, not so much a, a fine dining experience, but a real focus on ingredients uh, with, a, you know, you, you just got a regular bar and the same silverware set between all your meals, but mm-hmm. we don't take ourselves too seriously. I think Dan is looking and Tony are looking at all their other butcher and grocery spots that are opening up in the next year or two about you know, doing more of a, a smaller franchise of it with just their sandwiches and stuff like that. But um, the actual Cleaver spot, I've always just seen as a way to promote the the butcher shop, really, and you know, utilize 
that, you know, really people are getting at an incredible product of all these Ohio farms, you know, not really seeing it when they're going to all these other restaurants that are using, you know, meat that's been shipped here from California. And you don't go to, you know, you don't go to Ohio for seafood. You shouldn't go to Cape Cod for pig, you know? Yeah. Every once in a while, there'll be a small overlap, but, but for the, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so like with having the butcher shop pretty much right there and you have like all these different cuts of meat, you know, do you find yourself every once in a while going like the need to edit almost like there's so much that you could do with all this stuff that you're like, well, let me, let me just slow down a second here. Cause otherwise you might have, you know, five ideas for this thing or seven over here. And you're like, that might, that might be too much right now. Absolutely. I mean, we're always trying to work inside that box of what's going to keep the the lights on right now, you know, and what can we do with just two people in the kitchen? There's so much prep heavy work, but it's, it's a great way to, I mean, we work inside that we share the same kitchen. So most of the cleaver kitchen is being used, utilized by uh, the people who make all the sausage for butcher and gray shirt. Uh, Nathan and Kate do a fantastic job and we workshop ideas, but they're in our kitchen all the time. But we, the butchers are always in there and we're always over there. And it's really like, hey, what do you have extra? So many orders, like, you know, 30 ribeyes and you have all this scrap and you're selling it for cheap. We'll take all that and we'll try and turn it into something. So it's really like a, a chopped basket every every day for us. But um, it kind of keeps it fun and fresh for us. There are bigger projects that we want to do when we move more towards entrees, which, you know, aren't super selling well for the, the to-go side of our our business, you know, there's some unique things that we're doing as far as just utilizing really nice meat. One of our, I think our, our best dishes or at least funniest is uh, we have a beef and cheddar, which is basically an RB sandwich that we made, but everything about it is really Ohio. I mean, we use bread from Matt and Mattia breads is brioche. Uh, we make our own cheese sauce out of uh, black radish cheese. The roast beef, we start from a hunk of meat and we, you know, go from there and make our own roast beef. We make our own hams and stuff like that. Everything is kind of through us. But at the end of the day, you're still just eating, you know, like a beef and cheddar. Right. Um, so we we are no longer taking ourselves as seriously anymore. Dan and I have decided have we're trying to, more, yeah. More kind of casual, like have fun with it, kind of. It's still just yeah. like really good food that people want to eat. Yeah. Oh, well, hope, we hope so. That's what we're really hoping for. But we told ourselves when we started it that we would we would never make anything that's a permanent menu. We would never wear a chef coat and we would never use tweezers anymore. So, so we had both worked in that world for way too long. Have you encountered any challenges like shifting with to-go? You know, one of the kind of big things with to-go food is a lot of times it doesn't, you know, I mean, people have tried this, but it just doesn't account for that time, like when it leaves kind of the restaurant or the kitchen in the box and then it gets to the destination. Like you can get yeah. fries and it's you think fries would be easy, you know, because fast food, you know, they they do it all so well. But it's like sometimes when you get to a restaurant and you're getting to go food and if you have like a 10 minute drive and you've got fries, it's like they're still cooking in the box or depending on what kind of container gets used, you know, sometimes you know, the steam is held in there too and, and changes kind of the texture of the flavor. So have you ever, have you guys encountered anything, dip, any difficulties with to-go food or is it just the normal kind of challenges? Uh, every day of our lives. Yeah, no, it is a logistical nightmare. 
um, and we're learning every day. I mean, we did these, we're doing these to-go family meals right now, which are just kind of taken bakes, and they're they're so much harder. I mean, you really have to shift your whole kitchen towards that kind of thing, uh, just like making sure that their instructions are good enough for people to read, uh, that the food's going to be as good as if you did it inside the kitchen, that people don't have the nine pans that you have, you know, willing and able, so you have to kind of negotiate around that. Even with uh, our to-go food and stuff like that, there's we'll make a dish and we're like, well, this is great. And then we'll watch one in a to-go container. We're like, we can never make this to-go again. People will, you know, they'll never get the right product. And it's it's tough to see because uh, it's kind of, it's a good chunk of our business right now. So I think that's kind of my mainly why we've been focusing on these sandwiches instead of entrees, just because we've tried a, a, a couple things that are, you know, a little more difficult to take to-go. And we just worry about quality always. Right. We're always worried about it. Um, just kind of shifting gears. So you've been in, like you mentioned earlier, Columbus for about five years. So what are your you know, thoughts now on the food scene in Columbus from kind of what you saw when you first got here to where it is now? And then I guess give like a you know, future projection for like the next five years, what you think is going to happen? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... I think Ohio has always been training in these unique ways where we see, uh, you know, everything from Cameron Mitchell expanding out like crazy, but we saw the same thing in Chicago with like Let Us Entertain You. Um, and nothing against them. They're, they're, they're doing great things, but they've really taken over the short north in a quick amount of time. I feel like to open up anything in the short north now is insane uh, as far as Costco. We've seen some of our friends or staples kind of disappear from there, but there's all these other pop-ups like, uh, you know, Commune and uh, Lawbird. Uh, Market Italian Village has really changed from when I... I think it, Market Italian Village might have been uh, the first restaurant I ate at Columbus. And I was like, wow, this is terrible. This is awful. Uh, they were like doing pizza. It was, it was bad. And then now t- today, it's like they're adapting at such a rate. I can't wait to see what they produce next. You know, Josh Dalton has, you know, really stated his claim down on Gay Street. And I can't wait to see how that booms and creates a, a ton of new space and area there that really changes the landscape for Columbus. Um, all these other small pop-ups and stuff like that. Uh, I think Columbus has always had a great array of little ethnic finds that uh, larger cities have. But these might be a little more spread out, but still you can find, you know, hand-stretched noodles up on Bethel. Um, some of the best tacos I've ever had in my entire life down on East Town Street. Um, and these little pockets of wonderfulness that really make food cities great is not just fine dining restaurants, but all those little places in between. Right. And I think because Columbus doesn't have the same pressure on it that some of the other cities do, mm-hmm. as far as what is Columbus cuisine, like do we have to do Southern cuisine if we're down in Atlanta or California or Old people French? But yeah. yeah, people are experimenting like crazy. And you really unique ways, and I can't wait for people to, you know, really go full force once we're kind of, you know, back up and running and in the clean again. There's going to be a lot of real estate open, and a lot of hungry young chefs who decided to take that little bit of cash in hand and really try and swing for the fences. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's not really a big food media presence probably in, in Columbus. You have a couple things, you know, Business First and Columbus Monthly and Six One Four every once in a while, but with that lack of kind of 
media partner almost for the restaurants. Is that made it challenging since your start? You're one of the few restaurants to open in Columbus in the pandemic. And it's yeah. like you're also trying to figure out how you navigate the pandemic. And then, oh yeah, we have to figure out how to market on top of this because there's no real like like outlet. So has that have you encountered, you know, that kind of situation is what it uh, appears from you know from the outside. Absolutely. And I think this is a bigger problem for Rock Mill and Cleaver that it's really neighborhood eating more than we expected. People are really not traveling to these places that are, you know, outside of the, the, the short north or these strip locations with a bunch of restaurants. It was a kind of a weird understanding for me to fully get that, oh, we're not going to have any walk-in traffic if we're at this spot, you know? Um, but the good news is, is, I mean, we can only have like 30 people in the restaurant at a time. So we haven't really worried about it. We haven't really announced ourselves too much. Right. Um, and we're still just, you know, doing good. Uh, we, we'd always hope for more, you know, we don't want to be on the tips of everyone's tongues. But yeah, the media, the media presence for Columbus has always been kind of a challenge. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully this food mob will get us famous, you know. I get, yeah, we, we all can dream. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I mean, but, you know, this started just out of doing, you know, fun and, and something I kind of got into, my wife got me into, you know, back when we first met. And it's just, yeah, you know, hopefully one day it goes somewhere or whatever. If it doesn't, you know, at least we had fun doing it however long, you know, we did it. But we'll be doing it, you know, for quite a while going in, into the future before we ever have to decide if it's something we continue. So, you know, it's been labor intensive, you know. Oh yeah. Doing, doing everything. You know, I, I, YouTube is an invaluable resource in trying to figure stuff out when you're trying to just do everything you can, but not have to, you know, spend a bunch of money on equipment and all this stuff and creating a website. And, you know, that's not something I ever figured that I would have to do either. So uh, a couple more questions and then we get you out of here since kind of getting around the, the 30 minute mark, you know, today's your day off. So you want to get back to kind of enjoying it, but um, yeah, drink it. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> going to ask everybody this um but who is the biggest influence on your your career your culinary career i probably uh, if you're talking about raw influence it's probably andrew smith as far as finding someone who really shared sort of a unique way to look at what restaurants should be doing or how food should be approached you know i i worked under you know, loud French chefs who said, you know, if the brigade is the only way to do it, where you work your way up a ladder and then you die as the chef and then your sous chef overtakes you. But uh, his way of like, well, this might challenge people, but I hope it does because that might open them out to, you know, a new thing in their life altogether. And this, I think, is really unique in trying to balance this. And even though it's a really subtle dish, and it might be just kind of a, a Passover dish. It should take just as much importance really learned a lot from him, still continue our friendship about always growing and trying to learn more every day. I mean, I can't tell you how many bad dishes we've made at Cleaver, especially at the dinner parties that we weren't so proud of. But then, you know, the next night, try to get back on the horse and find out what, where we went wrong and how to fix it. And it's like always knowing you can do better kind of thing. But as far as outside of Columbus, Alana Reagan, who owned Elizabeth, now she has a B&B up in Michigan and stuff like that, a Chicago chef and restaurateur. Uh, she was a huge influence of in the shadow of all these. I mean, Alinea was great. All these other restaurants that were kind of booming there. She opened up her quiet one Michelin star restaurant, the size of a kitchen. You know, there was a 
I think 12 seats in their total or whatever, uh, open kitchen. And it kind of changed my way of, oh, I don't need, you know, a thousand brand new shiny items and all the money in the world to create good food. I can, I can do it with, you know, the same stuff she's doing it with. You know, one of the podcasts we do is uh, we watch parts unknown episodes and then we'll do a podcast off of them. And I think it's the, the Quebec episode. They're over in Quebec and like, I forget the name of the restaurant off the top of my head, but they're literally cooking on just this old like whirlpool or Frigidaire like stuff yeah. that you would find in a house in like the early nineties. Like right. it's just got like four burners on it. And you're just like, what's going on here? So yeah, you can do, you can get real creative, um, you know, depending on, on everything. What's the, uh, what's the one item in the kitchen you can't live without? Can't be a knife. Oh yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. I would say, I would say either a fish fat, I, I think are really universal or, uh, or, or a, a strainer, like a really fine one, like a chinois. I, okay. uh, those are, I mean, you can create really different textures and unique things with, uh, a chinois just by straining out some of the sediment and really creating some fine things. Although I probably use our, our blender or Roboku more than anything else. That's a tough question. I don't know. I, I, Final answer, I'm going to go with my, my sous chef, Dan. I can't live without him. He's, okay. uh, he's great. Sorry. That works. Um, <laughs> what's the one Columbus restaurant you'd recommend that isn't Cleaver? You can't recommend oh. your own, but somebody yeah. you know, flying into Columbus for the first time, what's the place yeah. that you're going to be like, hey, we're not open, but go to this place? Ooh, uh, yeah. If they, if they wanted a restaurant like Cleaver, there's a couple, but I would say Xu Tai. Uh, it's Western Chinese hand stretched noodles up on Bethel. That is. I eat there probably more than the average bear where I should. Um, and no, it's I've always that place. I've only been there, yeah. I think, like once or twice. I, I messed up and ordered the wrong thing, I think, the first time. So, Yeah, they, they, they've got some tricks. They have their special menu, and that's definitely like the Americanized menu. And yeah. You gotta like ignore yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I think it showcases a really important point that uh, Columbus is more than... Uh, Burgers and sandwiches. Yeah, right. Yeah, we do have an international scene. You just have to kind of go and look for it. Yeah, absolutely. What's kind of the your bucket list, you know, travel destination, bucket list restaurant, never been, want to go? Oof. Um, you know, I'd love to go see Jeremy Fox and Rustic Canyon. I had, actually, we had got tickets for uh, my parents' retirement to go see Noma. Uh, and it was literally like three, we were supposed to leave the day everything closed down for uh, quarantine. Oh, uh, so I never got to go. I got a very nice letter from Renee, but uh, so that's probably still up there. Favikin is no longer working, but there's yeah. some great Nordic restaurants I'd still love to hit. And then um, Abel Gray, actually. I've probably been checking them out a little too hard. That It's it's good. Just, yeah. Just drive up there. Yeah. One day. I don't... I, don't I mean, that's a, that's a... It's got to be an eight-hour drive, right? That's no, Mabel Gray in Detroit. That's only uh, three. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah like that's three, definitely doable. No. Okay, I don't know if he's if they're reopened yet for dining. I don't because it's a pretty small yeah. space, but they built like a really nice patio outside really quick too. Like, yeah, it was. They mentioned it on Instagram one day, and like three days later, it was like completed. <laughs> it's like what, uh. what happened here? But it's the food is phenomenal. When you whenever you go. Just if there's a soup or a chowder, just make sure you yeah. order that. It's fantastic. So that's that's what I'll say about yeah. there. But yeah, 
definitely like Copenhagen is, is pretty high on my list of, of places I want to go to. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen happen in a restaurant while you were working? Oh, uh, probably the, the hood system going off the Ansel system. And it was like in the middle of a service, someone was trying to, you know, flambe something and turn the heat on. Uh, but then they were shifting pans. And I think the chef himself lifted it a little too high. And this giant, we were in Jackson Hole at the time. And it just turned the whole Ansel system on, foamed everything. You had to close down for like, I think three days just to clean it. It was insane. And that was busy season during winter time, during ski season. And I had never seen anything like that where you just lost like a million dollars in one night from lifting a pan too high. That's crazy. That was, yeah. So it's always a nightmare. I think every chef has an Ansel system story. What's uh, your food or drink? Guilty pleasure. I know, you know, a lot of chefs don't drink, so it doesn't have to be anything like alcoholic or anything like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, ramen. I dream about it. I love it. Every financial purchase I make, I count how many bowls of ramen it's going to cost me. It's something I, I've loved ever since I was a little kid. And it's it's always been a secret passion of mine. I, I make it all the time, but I've never wanted to open up a ramen shop uh, just because of that encroaching fear that it wouldn't be good. Uh, but absolutely, I'll eat ramen. Three so or four times a week. Follow up on that, then. What's what's the ramen spot in Columbus? Then um, I think there's there's a couple. I think Tensuke has probably the best deal. Tensuke Market or Tensuke Express. Uh, I think uh, Fukuryu has the best noodles. I think they use a rye flour in there, or something, or maybe a red drum. I don't know, but their noodles are great. Mashiko has probably some of the most authentic broth that I've had. Uh, that's really great. We just tried Slurping Turtle. It just opened up in Easton. That was really good. And then Santori does a really good job too, but I mean, I don't think I've tried them without the the paper bowl yet. Yeah, we got to go from them, and it it was tough to tell with right. them. Haven't haven't had Mishuku yet. Yeah, always kind of looking out for ramen. I mean, we I ran across this um, website. I think it's like Sun Noodle or something. And oh have, yeah. Every once in a while, they'll have like some kind of famous ramen shop. Will you know? You can like order, you know, the noodles and broth and then just get everything else to kind of incorporate it. So, yeah, I was, I was able to get my hands on like one of them. I think it's some place, uh, the place in New Jersey. We haven't cooked it yet. We got to get the, the rest of the ingredients to try it and, and see what's up with that. But are you ever going to put uh, ramen on the, the cleaver menu at some point? I don't know. I, there's that like kill your darlings thing. And I think I would get too serious about it. I think I... Uh, I don't think a lot of people eat ramen in the right way too, and it would just it would break it would break my heart. I think I think it has to just stay a secret desire of mine, you know. Well, we'll maybe we'll do yakitori and stuff like that, but I think the only time I've ever done ramen is for like family meals or stuff like that. Just okay. kept a real real secret. Yeah, I think that just has to be like a, a secret desire of mine forever. All right, well, the secret might be out, so you might have to eventually yeah. make it some pressure right. and throw it on there. Uh, what's the the kind of favorite thing that you you've ever cooked or ever ever created, your favorite dish that you're that you've ever made. Oh yeah, I guess I don't know. I think uh, the carrot dish at Rockmill, I was real proud of that one for a while, just because I really like the simplicity of it, and that was the first time that I really toned down all that you know crazy young chef like molecular gastronomy was a big thing and all that other things, and I really got back to my roots of like what will absolutely make this taste good without all the extra fillers. And it's just, you know, 
Sue being a really, really good carrot inside its own carrot juices with a little bit of honey and then served with, you know, some cultured cream that we fermented in house um, and a little fresh watercress. And I, I really enjoyed that dish, but it's, yeah, it's kind of a significance in my culinary experience of just like, oh, this is like, is this dish too much? You know, like, is this really going to add to the dish or are we just adding it for extra balance or anything else? You know, what are we really adding to the dish? And I always have to remind myself to, you know, keep it simple. And then um, what is your favorite either moment, scene, episode uh, from Anthony Bourdain? Oh, man. I mean, right off the top of my head, I would say the Waffle House episode. That's a pretty classic one, yeah. It's a pretty classic one, uh, just because it really it really puts them... But I actually really enjoy um, uh, Eric Repair a lot more than, than you would think. And so it's like when they start to get into those bickering arguments over food, and you can kind of see like that little microaggression. I think there's like one episode when they're... I think they're in Vietnam together, maybe. I no, I know uh, another southeastern country. Yeah, and they go to China. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and then they they start fighting over it and stuff like that. Uh, that's like my favorite moments too. Or the Barack Obama one is. That, yeah, that's a pretty good scene too as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Where can uh you know where can people find you? Social media, website, reservations for Cleaver. Uh, yeah, Plug well, we're, we're rocking out at Cleaver on our Instagram, and also we have Butcher and Grocery. You can find us through that. I'm only on Philly Instagram right now, uh, just because I don't post anything. So I'm not a good follow, definitely for sure. But uh, yeah, check out our restaurants. Come in, um, enjoy some food. Uh, we, it's just us. So I'll always be there. You guys are open, what, like six days a week, right? Tuesday through Sunday. Yeah, every day except for Mondays for right now. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, I again, I appreciate you uh, being the guinea pig, uh, coming on, being the first chef guest. Uh, open invitation yeah. for return anytime you got when you guys open back up for for dining or whatever hit me up Perfect. let me know but again appreciate your time and uh yeah like you said everybody uh check out cleaver perfect cool all right thanks so much thanks we'll talk to you soon and that's it that was my conversation there with chef jay clevin hope you guys enjoyed uh that podcast there again you can find him on instagram at j dot Clevin, K-L-E-V-N, also at Cleaver Grandview, and then at The Butcher and, spelled out, uh, Grocer, all on Instagram. You can check out all this stuff, uh, their website too, you can find, uh, like he mentioned, they're doing the to-go menu and stuff like that right now. Uh, Butcher and the Grocer is open pretty regularly, normal hours as far as I know, so you can stop in and get, uh, you know, they have a wide variety of meats, cheeses, some local products too, like local beers and and stuff like that. So uh, make sure to give them a, a follow and check them out. And um, like I said, we'll be doing more of these in the future. Appreciate everybody listening, checking out. Uh, make sure you follow, you know, podcast feed, Instagram, all that stuff. Help spread the word. And we'll talk to you guys in the new year.